0: This podcast is intended for entertainment and opinion. Nothing discussed is meant to be a substitute for mental health treatment. If you are experiencing a mental health crisis, please call 988 or use the resources listed in the episode description. To see the sources and other resources mentioned in this episode, you can visit psychologicallymindedpod.com. To contact me with any questions or comments about this topic or upcoming topics, email me at psychmindedpod at gmail.com. And finally, please rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen to get new episodes as they post. Enjoy this episode! Hello, and welcome to Psychologically Minded. I'm your host, Grace Fowler. And today, we're doing another installment in the We Need to Talk About series, and it's time that we talked about Andrew Tate. Before I dive in, I am going to give a content warning up top that there will be a lot of discussion of sexual assault and trafficking in this episode, so if those are sensitive topics for you, just know that that is definitely coming up in this episode, and maybe a good idea to skip or come back to this episode at a different time. So it's definitely time that we talk about Andrew Tate given that he has been all over the internet in the last month because of his arrest in Romania. But I've been aware of this guy since about 2019 when he kicked off his internet courses where he would teach men how to be hustlers or I don't know. I don't even know what he would call it, but he would Put out these courses that were about how to make money how to get women how to do all of sort of the things that he associates with being very masculine and in the sources page i have linked to a bunch of youtube videos that i definitely watched over my lifetime um that like exposed me to andrew tate they're not videos made by him thank god they are videos made by other people kind of reacting to his content and all of them are by men who are reacting to his content, which I think is really important to just see how men with a more healthy approach to their masculinity or a more gracious understanding of concepts like mental health, how they approach content that Andrew Tate makes. And I highly encourage looking at some of those videos to kind of also balance out the the perspective that I'll be taking because I will be responding from the perspective of a mental health professional but also from the perspective of a woman which i think his content hits differently for different communities so it's a good idea to get a, a wide range of perspectives i will also caution though that if you're just searching andrew tate on platforms like youtube or tiktok to be very careful of what you're consuming because as i go through this episode you'll see that one of the ways in which he spreads his content is by having fans just repost his content over and over and over again and on as many different platforms as possible, and it really uncritically spreads his message without there being any context or any other understanding so if you're just like googling his name or searching his name on social media platforms, that may be the content that comes up first let's just let's just get into it it's It's gotta be done right <laughs> so Who is Andrew Tate? He is the son of a catering assistant and a chess master who I believe was born in the U.S. and raised in the U.K. In his early 20s, he worked as a TV producer and started training as a kickboxer, eventually going on to fight professionally and winning some titles in that field. He then tried to shift over to a more celebrity-oriented career and has become one of the most watched figures on TikTok with videos of him accumulating over 11 billion views. In 2016 is really when he comes on to the more mainstream stage. Uh, If you are not following kickboxing, this is when you may have started to see him. And he makes his first appearance on Big Brother, uh, but the UK version. He is on the show for six days and then is removed from the show. The original reason given was that at the time he was on the show, a video emerged of him hitting a woman with a belt in what appeared to be a non-consensual situation or potentially an interpersonal violence situation. However, both Andrew Tate and the woman in the video who reported being his girlfriend at the time said that it was a consensual video, was part of like a, I guess like sexual role play, and should not have been considered an assault. However, that was not the real reason he was kicked off of Big Brother. The reason that he was kicked off of Big Brother was because at the time that that video came out, a investigation into two separate rape allegations had begun and the producers of Big Brother were trying to figure out what to do with him when they were informed of the, not the, not the results of the investigation, but that the investigation had started. And I think it is important to understand that this situation kind of kicks off his celebrity career because Andrew Tate himself will say that the reason he was kicked off of Big Brother was because of this video which gives him this platform to say that he was wrongly accused that there's a woman out there who, you know, doesn't think he's a rapist and a violent person, you know, that she supported him and that uh, you know, this is it very much slots into this very like anti Me Too message that he, a lot of his content has. And Big Brother was able to essentially pick the lesser of two evils to say that the reason they kicked him off the show was because of this video, when the reality was is that he was under an active investigation for not one, but two rape allegations. And I'll say that most of what I had heard about Andrew Tate up until this year when I, you know, turned to do more specific research into him was I'd heard that first story that he'd been kicked off of Big Brother because of the video and that it was a, a complicated situation because both people were saying that it was consensual and get, gets really into the weeds of, you know, should people be removed for things that look bad, even if everybody involved in them is saying that they're safe and okay? Was it possible that she was coerced into saying she's okay? Right. Like it just opens up a, a very big can of worms. But the understanding that there was a credible investigation started while he was on Big Brother about these sexual assault allegations is one, more serious, and two, is a-, a lot clearer to say there is potentially something very nefarious going on here. So it has served him very well that the narrative has been about this other video that where the woman is not pressing charges, is not even alleging anything against him. So after he gets kicked off of Big Brother, he switches over to a more internet-based business model, where he creates something called Hustler University. And Andrew Tate promised that if you participated in the Hustler University courses, he would get you a PhD or a pimpin' hose degree. Essentially, he was running courses on how to run an organization where women do sex work for men and give all of the money to men. And I'm not assuming this about him. I'm not paraphrasing him. Like, this is what he has said in his own words in many clips, in many tweets, in the content of the website. He was selling this course to young men to say, if you take this course, I will teach you how to essentially run a webcam business where women work for you and you make money off of them. Part of the Hustler University business model was that it essentially functioned as a pyramid scheme where once you had like paid your fees to get into the quote unquote university, which boiled down to essentially like a discord server that you had access to. Once you paid into that and became an affiliate, you were tasked with creating social media accounts that were solely based on reposting Andrew Tate video clips. So this might look like TikTok or Twitter accounts, even Instagram accounts, where all they're doing is cutting up in different ways Andrew Tate videos and posting them over and over again. In each of these accounts, the affiliates were then told to put a link to the Hustlers University kind of sign-up thing and essentially... Function as a funnel to get other people to sign up for Hustlers University. So that's where in it, it becomes to look like a pyramid scheme. There's even been some stuff that has come out that has shown that Tate encouraged these affiliates to choose the most controversial clips to get maximum views and engagement. And so was using the kind of social media algorithms to his favor by posting things that were outlandish. And he has often Fallen back on this argument for a lot of his content by saying that he's joking or he's exaggerating when he says the things that he says because he's trying to get attention. And that if he gets enough attention, you then sign up for his courses or get into his online communities, and that's where you get the real stuff, which is supposedly not as outlandish as what he's saying on social media. Additionally, on the Hustlers University um, content, which has now been deleted. He used a method called the lover boy method to teach men how to run these kind of webcam businesses. The lover boy model includes essentially wooing women into romantic relationships and then using the romantic relationship as leverage to get them to engage in sex work. So rather than it being a purely professional relationship, which there are definitely models for that, how that might work in the real world of like professional sex work relationships, or maybe someone has a manager or uh, is in a collective where the different workers are like encouraging and supporting each other, where and it's strictly professional. This model confuses the professional with the personal and requires that there be a very heavy amount of romantic involvement from the women uh, who are participating in the business. And he has boasted about this on the Hustler University website by saying things like, this is an actual quote, over 50% of my employees were actually my girlfriend at at the time, and of all my girlfriends, none were in the adult entertainment industry before they met me. End quote. So this was a very purposeful tactic that he used by getting into relationships that were not just physical, but were romantic relationships, and then using that leverage to convince women to participate in sex work, even if they had never done that before. And not to draw too many unfounded comparisons here, but from what I have read about Charles Manson, that was also Charles Manson's approach with the Manson girls was to get them to fall in love with you, and then you can ask them to do whatever you want, including having sex with other people or um, committing murders. <laughs> now, I'm not alleging that Andrew Tate is anything like Charles Manson, but I will say that I think this is an unfortunate mindset that predominantly male-presenting people have, that love is something or romantic connection is something to weaponize and to profit off of. When you see your relationships as so transactional that it makes sense, I give you love, you give me money or you give me labor, that removes any incentive to care about the humanity of the other person in the relationship. When things become so transactional, we don't have to take into account things like humanity or dignity or individual preferences and differences. It is also, I think, a very dangerous precursor to getting into an abusive relationship. And I know that I have talked about like domestic violence and interpersonal violence before on this show, but I don't think I've ever explicitly talked about the Wheel of Power, which is a, a model that we use in the mental health field when working with people who are victims or survivors of domestic violence. The Wheel of Power demonstrates different ways in which abusers exert control over their victims. And typically, we don't see the techniques on the Wheel of Power from the beginning. We see a slow build into these techniques from a seemingly you know, pleasant or healthy relationship that then devolves into an abusive relationship. And so this lover boy technique that Tate is describing is this kind of slow roll into the wheel of power or it's sometimes called the wheel of power and control. And he's essentially teaching other men how to do this. And the the whole point is that so first you start by romantically pursuing someone, right? Being very charismatic, being very charming, maybe even appearing to be very easygoing, a pleasant person to be around and the emotional connection is there, the romantic relationship begins. Once that person is in the romantic relationship, then the techniques begin. And on the Wheel of Power, we have eight categories of techniques that are used to coerce or uh, control the other partner. These categories include using intimidation, using emotional abuse, using isolation, minimizing, denying, and blaming, using children using male privilege, using economic abuse, and using coercion and threats. Now, again, if you were to start off from the bat of meeting someone and they immediately go into intimidation by, you know, smashing your property or using emotional abuse by calling you names or making you think that you're crazy, you wouldn't enter into a relationship with that person. So these techniques are not used from the beginning. They are slipped into an already established relationship. There are Hundreds of clips of Andrew Tate, well, they may not be hundreds of unique clips, but there are hundreds of clips passed around by his affiliates of him talking about this exact thing of being charming in the beginning, getting the woman into a relationship with you, and then using violence or other coercive techniques against her to get her to work for you. There have been accounts from women who have entered into relationships with him and then been coerced into his webcam business who have reported him using these techniques. There have been reports of him isolating the women. So once they kind of meet him and start dating him, then he moves them into an apartment with him, isolating them from their family or friends. There have been reports of him using physical violence against women, whether that means choking them or holding them down. He himself has even made videos where he talks about how men need to be aggressive with their women and if they're cheating on you or talking back to you you need to show force. All of these things are from are can be found on the power and control wheel. It is not an accident that these are the ways in which Andrew Tate treats women and treats women who are supposedly supposed to be working for him. He has essentially monetized teaching people how to become abusers. And that is incredibly incredibly dangerous because the connection that he makes in his courses is that if you use these techniques against women, you will become rich and successful like me. And he uses a lot of flashy imagery of his very expensive cars, his big homes. He's always surrounded by, you know, beautiful women and the lifestyle is connected to using these techniques. And the reality is, is that for most of the people who are watching his content or have paid for his courses, your life is not going to look like this. What is going to happen is that you're going to have these ideas about women, that they are property or that they need to be treated harshly for acting up or acting out, and you're going to turn into an abuser, right? The people watching his content or that are learning from his content are going to walk away saying this is how women should be treated, are going to use techniques that we find on the Wheel of Power that then are perpetrated against partners. Whether whether they're women or, or same-sex partners, like, perpetrated against partners turning people into abusers. So if you ever hear kind of the, the pushback of his fans being like, well, it's just a joke or he's just exaggerating or, like, you know, whatever, right? There's, they have so many excuses of, like, what his content is really about. The reality is that he's showing a pipeline from emotionally coercing a woman into a relationship with you to having her work for you in a sex-working business by leveraging a romantic relationship and then utilizing techniques of coercion to keep her on your payroll, quote-unquote. And it continues to baffle my mind that In the modern era, you know, in the last like three or four years that this kind of like course or way of thinking has just been allowed to exist without any consequences. And so seeing him finally facing some consequences for his behavior towards women, I think is a promising move, is a promising step in the right direction. But I don't think that it will undo the damage he has done to his audience who tend to be young men who feel disenfranchised or disaffected in some way and are wanting to live a life like he lives and may feel compelled to emulate some of his behavior. So I usually do my call to action like at the end of the episode and I will repeat it at the end. But right now I want to say I think something that very important for us all to be doing is that if we see this content, right? Like if you see a TikTok that's a repost of his video or see it on Twitter, like report it, right? Try to get it taken down because Definitely it's going to be content that it violates community guidelines of whatever platform you're on because the, the clips are always horrible things about women or mental health uh, in general. And if you see someone engaging with this content that you're close enough with that you could have a conversation with, like, start a conversation with them about, like, what are you taking away from this content? You know, what what is it that is interesting to you? And try to offer alternative explanations or alternative resources like particularly for someone who's looking for help in how to make money right offer alternative resources for how to make money. We don't need to do the Andrew Tate method of tricking women into working for you. there are other types of careers to have out there right so it's these sort of like personal conversations we can have with the people around us about this kind of content if we see it coming up. now I think I've definitely hinted at this um, in in the preceding parts of the episode. But I do want to also talk about the ways in which Andrew Tate has talked about mental health, particularly for men, and how that is all just as damaging as the stuff that he says about women. So dating back to 2017, he had quite he's had quite a few Twitter threads about this over over the years. But he started to tweet about how depression isn't real and that it's just sometimes you feel sad and you need to move on, and there's no such thing as clinical depression. And he has repeated this before. He has also repeated it with the insinuation that real men don't get depressed, that if you are thinking you're depressed, you're either not a real man or doing something in your life that's wrong. And, you know, just like completely negates, well, first of all, the things that we do know <laughs> about depression and makes it, it, ties mental health treatment to things that are not masculine and insinuates to his audience that if you are having a tough time and needing support, then you're not truly masculine. And I saw somewhere, I don't remember which article it was in, um, but I saw somewhere when I was reading about him that a lot of the kind of statistics about his audience show that they're very young children, that a lot of his audience are like preteen or teenage boys who are observing and learning these lessons. It's not all of them. Like there are adult people that, that watches content as well, but that there is definitely a contingency of his audience that are children. And if we think about like statistics about like when depression emerges, oftentimes adolescence into young adulthood is a time when we start to see, you know, intense like depressive episodes uh, come up or other types of mental health conditions. It definitely can be prevalent. Like during childhood or adolescence. Um, But like the the age of his audience is at a time when people may be more vulnerable to experiencing their first depressive episodes. And so to say that depression is not real, that you just need to get over it, it is so dangerous because this is going to be a situation where his audience may be experiencing these things for the first time and believing that they can just kind of white knuckle their way through depression without getting Any help, whether it's social support, medication support, uh, therapy, you know, whatever it may look like, to believe that they can just get over it is, is so, so dangerous. And we know in the field, we have demonstrated in the field that when people try to do stuff like this on their own and aren't able to get support, specifically aren't able to get social support, the outcomes are worse for those people. The depression gets worse, You become at risk for things like suicide. It's it's not a good time. And to continually be pushing a message that you have to do everything on your own and you have to be independent, I think I've definitely talked about this in past episodes, but that is part of toxic masculinity, right? By tying these ideas of like strict independence and, you know, self-reliance and not needing to rely on anyone, tying that to masculinity like perverts the idea of what it means to be a man and can contribute to men being like, unbearable. (laughs) It's, like, the best thing that I can think of, right? Of, like, if a whole group of people thinks that they don't need anyone else, that they're always right, that they, you know, can just kind of, like, grit their teeth and move on and get over everything, then they're not going to be interested in getting to know other people around them that are different from them, getting to build lifelong relationships or strong connections with people that can be supportive, that is going to turn all of your relationships into transactions because I am self-reliant. I can do everything on my own. How I see you then becomes what can you offer me rather than what can we build together? Or how can we relate to each other? And it just breaks my heart as a mental health professional to see these kinds of messages being pushed, particularly... To young men, because on one hand, I think that the field and communities at large have done a lot of hard work to destigmatize mental health treatment. We definitely have a long way to go, but there's been a lot of work to destigmatize and bring the possibility of accessing mental health care to more people and to be open with other people about what people are going through because there's less stigma around it. Like there, a lot of work has been done around that. And when people pick up this message like that Tate has about depression is just something you need to get over and it, there's no such thing as having clinical depression, it just sets back that work. And it's such a controversial message that it spreads so fast, right? Like, it's so much easier for me to see videos of Andrew Tate popping off about how depression is fake than it is for me to see videos of mental health professionals or mental health advocates talking about the way in which depression can impact people and resources to deal with it if that's something you are experiencing, right? Like, that that kind of content does not get engagement. It's not exciting to algorithms. There are not people clicking on it to watch it either because they love it or because they hate it, Right there are you know there are people watching that content but it's not like inflaming interactions whereas when Tate posts videos or has his followers post videos of him saying things like depression isn't real you need to suck it up and be a real man that inflames the algorithms and gets spread even faster and so it can often feel like kind of an uphill battle of if you're not making controversial content that's not getting the engagement how are you supposed to get your your message out there and how are you supposed to combat these controversial and damaging messages and i think one thing that we as like regular people can do is to like not engage with it right like if we see his name come up like don't click on the video don't click on the tweet don't retweet it don't quote tweet it don't reply to it don't share it to your friends even to be like look at this you know idiot it's so funny like any type of engagement with his content sends a message to him that there is an audience for it And sends the message to his followers that people like this, right? If you see a video that has a million, two million, three million views on it, you're going to be like, wow, there's a lot of people that sat down and watched this whole thing. There must be other people watching this that agree with it. It just reinforces that it's an important message. So that was just kind of like my little aside about how he has talked about about mental health. Um, I do want to continue going through some of the other allegations and kind of like the history or or themes of the other stuff that he's been saying because I think it all does tie in when someone is sending a message about mental health and then tying it to these other behaviors that are being sanctioned or being tied to like views of masculinity. It, It all becomes wrapped into one and furthers the idea that mental health treatment is not for men, not for masculine people and further ties this like toxic message to it. And so I will reiterate this again and again in this episode, but, you know, mental health treatment is for everyone and it does not require you to give up your gender identity or parts of your core self to participate in mental health treatment. That often by getting help or going through therapy you become more in touch with yourself and what it means for you to identify as somebody or something and to build an identity around your values and not around empty, dangerous platitudes from culture or from influencers. And if we do need to, you know, build some of our values or see other people to get inspiration for how we want to live our lives, can we please not make it be people who are violent and hateful toward most other types of people, right? Can we, can we have influencers that are at least not actively abusing women and anyone that they don't see as worthy? I think that's a, a simple ask. This episode is brought to you by Shopify the allegations against him of abuse so uh, again for just another content warning if like descriptions of sexual assault is not something that you're able to hear right now then the rest of this episode may not be for you so just just a fair warning before we get into it so i got most of this from a vice world news article which i have um linked to on the sources page if you want to read the whole thing for yourself but they were able to sit down with Two of the women who have accused Andrew Tate of assaulting them and were actually the women who had reported him at the time when the investigation took place while he was on Big Brother. So these allegations do date back uh, quite a while, but have not been prosecuted uh, to the same extent that the charges against him in Romania have been prosecuted. So I'm going to talk about these older charges first and then we'll, we'll talk about kind of what's been going on in the last few months. So the, these two women um, sat down with Vice World News. Um, I'm not going to use their names, and they're, they're not identified in the article either, so I think they deserve some privacy in, in light of everything they've been through. Um, but one reported that she had been held down and sexually assaulted by Tate, and the other one had been strangled uh, multiple times. They both had been coerced by him into his webcam business. One of them was actively dating Andrew Tate at the time, and the other was in a relationship with a different man and was working for Tate, but was not in a relationship with him. And that person, that woman, was the one who he sexually assaulted And the other woman who had been working for him and dating him at the time actually witnessed the assault of her friend by Andrew Tate, and that was kind of the inciting incident for them both to be like, we have to get out of here, and we need to report this because this has become very dangerous. So at the time that they were assaulted and reported to the UK police, the... um. kind of standard practice for the UK police or in England and Wales was to take the phones from the accusers and search through all of their messages to find anything that could be used to undermine their claims. So these women had to hand over their phones and there were messages between the two of them where they were talking about essentially the report that they were going to make and kind of how they were going to go about it and so those messages were used against them to say that they were colluding and that the case could not be investigated however they were not told that right away they were told that their case had to be referred to and in the uk it's called the crown protective service Crown prosecution service which i think is like their um like ada's i don't know i'm not a lawyer (laughs) But it had to be referred to the prosecution service in order for charges to be brought. And so the girls, the women were told, like, oh, yeah, we've we've turned over your case. So, like, it's out of our hands when they, when they went to the police. And then they finally were told by this Crown Prosecution Service that they wouldn't be able to prosecute the charges because of these, like, messages that they had on their phones where they had been talking about their assaults. And essentially we're told, like, because you communicated about it, it looks fake, so we're not going to be able to prosecute it because that's going to come out as evidence, and so we're we're not even going to try. The unfortunate reality is that this is often what happens with allegations of sexual assault or or rape, is that whether it's in the UK or in the US, cases are not prosecuted or barely investigated because the law enforcement or prosecution team decides there's not enough evidence here and there is a possibility that the evidence will be misconstrued. This uh, was something that came up in the Our Father documentary, which I have an episode on with my colleague Felicia Ting, which I can link to in this bio as well, where we talked through this about how charges are not brought in terms of sexual assault cases because they are deemed to be hard to prove by lawyers and law enforcement officials. And I think that that is a very clear portrayal of how rape culture has permeated all of our systems, like our larger systems. And I call it a product of rape culture because it is a way of thinking about rape and victims of rape where victims are assumed to need to be perfect in order for charges to be brought. That the fact that these women were participating in sex work knocks their credibility down. That because at least one of them was in a relationship with Andrew Tate, it knocks their credibility down. Because they had talked to each other beforehand about their accusations knocks their credibility down and it it's just like point after point gets to the point where the victims are seen as so uncredible that no charges can be brought or like the case won't be won so they they get thrown out and it all stems back to this myth myth and belief that we have that victims behave in a certain way or look a certain way And in order to be qualified as a victim, you must be perfect beyond reproach. And that any deviation from perfection is evidence that what happened to you was deserved. And I'm, you know, saying this, it's hard to say that, it's hard to verbalize that because that's like such a horrible, horrible thing to think. And I wanted to be clear that I don't believe that at all. And I have worked with many people who have been in deeply traumatizing situations and have had to act in a certain way to protect themselves or the people around them. And it's not perfect. It's messy. It's survival. When you're in survival mode, you don't have the opportunity to say, how will this be perceived by people around me? You are acting on the instinct to stay alive. And if we go back to the, the discussion of the power wheel that the Those tactics had already been weaponized against both of these women so that when they're at the point where they're finally able to say, I can't be treated like this anymore, we, we're going to go to the police, they have been at the whim of these techniques for who knows how long, right? I think for some of, one of them, she'd been there for at least a year. But when those techniques are used against you so often, they become normal. And you start to believe that you deserve that treatment. That, that is how abusers are able to keep victims in these relationships for so long. And Andrew Tate, again, in his own words, has said that he thinks women who, you know, quote unquote, misbehave should be physically disciplined. It makes sense that then these women were being strangled and physically assaulted when their behavior was perceived to not be what Tate wanted it to be. And so if they are in this situation, in this environment where these coercive techniques are being used against them, then the decisions that they're making day to day are going to be to keep themselves alive. They are not going to be concerned with how do I keep my side of the street so clean that people will believe me that what is happening to me is wrong. The beginning of that process is even having to allow yourself to believe that's what happening to me is wrong. And I know this is a topic that I talk a lot about on the show, but I think it is incredibly important because there's still so many stereotypes and myths about victims of domestic violence, but these slow allowances happen over time. Andrew Tate doesn't meet you for dinner and immediately start trying to slap you and strangle you. He meets you for dinner and he's charming. He's funny He may, you may even find him attractive, right? Like he's, he's putting on a good face and then slowly the facade is breaking down until the women are in a position where they're like, I don't even know how it got to this. That is how the cycle of abuse works. It is very rarely right off the bat. And if it is, then there, there are often other dynamics that are going on that I don't have time to cover in this episode, but there are other dynamics that are going on that convince a victim to believe I deserve to be treated this way, that this behavior is normal, and that there's nothing to be done, so I have to just figure out how to live with it. And I think it is amazing that these women were able to support each other enough to get out, to help each other escape, and to support each other in the incredibly demeaning experience of going to the police and saying, this thing happened to me, and having law enforcement tell them, your case isn't strong enough, so there's nothing that we can do. And this rape culture myth that victims have to be perfect continues to permeate this entire situation. And I would hazard a guess that Andrew Tate knows that, that Andrew Tate is aware of that dynamic, that many abusers are aware of that dynamic, that if they can coerce their victims into doing something that's considered unsavory, like sex work or using substances or committing types of like petty crime then that tarnishes the reputation of the victim and makes it even harder for them to leave because we don't live in a (laughs) a vacuum here. Like even if we're not always consciously aware of these stereotypes and myths, our lives are influenced by them and abusers know that. And abusers will use that against their victims. I may sound like a broken record here, but I think that it is entirely crucial for us us to start to grasp that concept and understand that when someone is in an abusive situation the the cards are stacked against them and so then to turn to an institution like a law enforcement institution that is supposed to protect you and be told you're not a good enough victim your side of the street isn't clean enough this case can't be prosecuted it's devastating And just serves to reinforce that what this man is doing is, if not right, at least acceptable. And there are no consequences for his behavior. Now, at this time that the abuse allegations start to get investigated, so he gets kicked off of Big Brother. The investigation has has started, like, in full force. He moves to Romania. And Andrew Tate makes a video where he says that in moving to Romania, there is a smaller chance of being investigated or arrested for crimes like rape. And in this video that he himself recorded and posted, he says that 40% of the reason why he moved to Romania is because it is much easier to evade rape charges in that country than it is in the UK. And to be fair, I'll add his last quote here. He says, I'm not a rapist. But I like the idea of just being able to do what I want. I like being free. This man was actively under an investigation for rape charges when he made that video and made that choice to move to Romania. You're going to need a dump truck of evidence if you want to convince me that that was not a calculated choice and that he was not very, very aware that the fact that his behavior was abusive and was assault. Maybe this is a question for my male listeners, but do you decide on where you want to live based on the potential for rape charges being prosecuted? Is that a decision that you keep in mind when you decide where you want to live because you just like being free and everybody's just getting arrested left and right for rape where you live? Is that is that something that you keep in mind? I, I don't think it is. I really don't think that it is. And he's telling on himself in this quote. And again, this is a video that he himself made and posted. It's not like a a gotcha clip from an interview or, you know, a hot mic interview, a hot mic moment. Like he, he said this himself and posted it on his own accounts. Well, the other shoe has finally dropped and he has been detained in Romania. If you don't know why he was detained in Romania, it was because a 21 year old American woman, um, came to the U.S. Embassy in Romania and said, I was held against my will at this mansion. I wasn't allowed to call my boyfriend or tell him what was going on. And I was not able to leave the mansion. And so the embassy told the police and they started an investigation and ultimately raided Tate's home, I think in 2021 or early 2022. At that time, um the Romanian authorities said that they were expanding the investigation to not only charges of rape but charges of human trafficking because this woman had been detained in the home and not able to leave and Andrew Tate and his brother both denied all allegations and then in December of 2022 he was formally arrested for human trafficking investigation. And as of the recording of this episode, he is still being detained and the investigation is underway in Romania. And it just, you know, to me, it seems a little odd that this guy keeps getting investigated for these types of crimes in every country that he lives in. It's just a little bit of a weird coincidence to me. And again, it's still in the investigation stage. These are just allegations that he has denied. Uh, please don't sue me. <laughs> allegedly, allegedly. But I think that it is an interesting pattern to see someone be in. And I am a big believer in the phrase when there is smoke, there is fire. I will not belabor my points that I've made in the past about his bragging, essentially, of using coercive techniques. Um, but it seems that at least. From the depiction of the woman who was who reported that she was held in his mansion, he is continuing to use these techniques. His brother, his younger brother, is using these techniques as well. And it's a continued pattern of behavior. And typically when we start to see a behavior happen enough times that it's developing into a pattern, it's when we wanna do something about it. Right? We wanna we wanna intervene there in some way. Okay if I'm working with someone and I see this thing is coming up over and over again, it's going to be a focus of therapy. It's going to be something that we're going to be talking about and figuring out what reinforces the behavior. Where did the behavior originate? What does the function of it serve? All of that stuff. Now I'm not working with Andrew Tate. He's not my client. So I I don't know what the answers to those questions would be, but my hope would be that There is someone in his life who is encouraging him to think reflectively about these patterns and to think of, like, what is the function of the behavior of continuously assaulting and trafficking women? My guess would be that it has something to do with power and control because we know from the literature that sexual assault and specifically rape are typically behaviors that are engaged in for the purpose of power and control but my hope is that someone can point that out to andrew tate who is closer to him rather than him continuing to double down on this and having his fans see him doubling down on this and get the message that this is an acceptable way to treat women to round out this episode i thought i would just kind of quickly run through some of his assorted grab bag hot takes about women um he has made several comments about women being property women i think some of his quotes are even things like you don't men don't need to objectify women because women will do it themselves which i was like what does that even mean dude like what are you even talking about he has said that rape victims bear the responsibility for being raped um which i guess could maybe explain some of his behavior he doesn't think that he's responsible for it He has also said that he exclusively dates women who are between the ages of 18 and 19 because they are more impressionable and can be more molded into what he's wanting. Um, That right there is just him telling on himself, right? That is like, clearly you are using coercive techniques against women who are uh, barely legal adults, are very young, have limited experience, and coercing them to be what you want, which appears to be a cash cow, where you use them for their like, literally physical financial value um, and then treat them like trash. He has described how he would pull out a machete on a woman if she accused him of cheating. He has described throwing women's things out of the window um, if he's mad at her. He has referred to women as things like dumb hoes, bitches, sluts, you know, all the assorted Alphabet words for women, and it just permeates everything that he has to say. And one thing that I will say because the the most common kind of pushback that I see from people who watch his videos or from him himself is that this stuff is a joke. you know it's all a joke, it's all in good fun, it's an exaggeration. But here's the thing: often what we joke about are things that we think are true. I have even read some studies that show we laugh at things that we find a bit of truth in. So if we give him the most charitable understanding that there is only a smidgen of truth in what he's saying because he's trying to be funny, then that smidgen of truth has something to do with about how women are trash and objects and to be used, right? Like, what, what else would be the kernel of truth in these things that he's saying? Maybe you don't fully believe that women should just be your sex slave, but you definitely believe that they should be serving you in some way, that, you, that they should be impressionable to men and molded to what men want from them. I I don't find that funny. Uh, that's not a truth that resonates with me. I don't think that that's... It's not a truth, right? Like, that's an opinion, um, but the 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 fact of the matter is that if you're making consistent statements that you're calling jokes around that kind of nugget, um, that tells us a lot about what you believe about women, what you believe about men. And one thing that I will always talk about when I talk about toxic masculinity is, like, the damage that it does to men, right? Like, it's it's very clear what the damage is to women, right? Because it increases the likelihood that men will perpetrate violence against women. It perpetrates things like rape culture and myths about women and even bleeds over into myths and violence against LGBTQ plus people, right? Like it's one size fits all bigotry essentially can stem from toxic masculinity. But the damage to men is just as prevalent. And in this case where, where Andrew Tate is the perpetrator, like he's the purveyor of the toxic masculinity, he, he sets himself up to be a success story right? He's got 33 Bugattis and mansions in several countries and a harem of women that will do anything he wants for him, right? He's setting that up as a success story. But the reality is that if someone in his audience is a 13, 14, 15-year-old boy watching his videos and then trying to emulate that behavior, that child is not going to be successful in their life, right? They're going to become alienated because they consistently say things that are off-putting to women and, and to everyone else around them. They're going to become isolated because you can't build a relationship on that type of belief system. They're going to not have 34 Bugattis or 35 or whatever, how many cars he has. They're not going to be living in mansions and women are not going to be doing what they say because in the real world, those techniques don't work without the charisma. Like Andrew Tate has gotten to the point where he is because he has charisma and that's what makes him so dangerous. But regular, you know, the regular Joes watching those shows or watching his videos don't have that element. Maybe a few of them do and I'm terrified of those children growing up without help, but most of them don't. And so what's going to happen and what I think we see happening in these online communities is they start to become disaffected. They start to become upset. They start to blame women for what's happening with them. And so content, like what Andrew Tate makes, is, is actually a pipeline into the incel community. Because for the the majority of people watching his content, his techniques are not going to work for them. They are not going to have girlfriends. They are not going to have women who are willing to do sex work for them. They are not going to have cars and wealth and careers that they're where they get to just like jet set around They're going to be regular people who work minimum wage jobs, struggle to make their rent every week, and feel clunky and awkward when trying to date people because the stuff they're saying isn't resonating with their partners because they're just repeating techniques or, you know, platitudes from Andrew Tate. And so the more isolated they become, the more likely they are to seek out other young men like themselves and get social support, and then they end up on websites where They are surrounded by other young men who are farther down the pipeline than them that push them toward this belief that women are to blame. Your genetics are set against you. That's why you're alone. And so really the only conclusion is to double down on your hatred of women and continue to isolate yourself because you know the truth. And that's so scary to me. That pipeline is so dangerous and so scary and is the direct result of toxic masculinity. That is the consequences of toxic masculinity, is shoving men down this pipeline toward inceldom, where they become radicalized and engage in violence against women and people of color. And I'm not saying that every person who's watched an Andrew Tate video in good faith will become an incel. I think there's a spectrum here. But they're definitely not going to be what Andrew Tate presents as success. And the mismatch between presented success and realistic failure gets blamed on women gets blamed on queer people and gets blamed on trans people gets blamed on marginalized people in general because it's easier to enforce your power and coercive techniques against people who have less power so when we talk about andrew tate we're not just talking about some silly guy who makes weird videos on the internet and needs to be made fun of i think on one stage he does need to be made fun of and And we should communicate to people around us that what he says is silly and wrong. But I also think that his content is incredibly dangerous. And so there needs to be a balance between pointing to his content and saying, this is fake, this is ridiculous, this is silly. And making sure that the people who are watching that content are also getting the message that this is not how you build a successful and happy life. This is not how you build healthy relationships. And to sacrifice human connection and interdependence and intimacy for money and cars is a grave mistake because you won't end up with the money and cars. You'll end up isolated and alone and unable to dig yourself out of the hole. So my kind of call to action as I try to do with these episodes is if you see content that's about Andrew Tate, if it hasn't been, you know, scrubbed off the internet, report it, report it because it is mostly guaranteed to be misogynistic hateful or a call to incite violence take a look around the people that you know and see if they're engaging with content like his and reach out right have a frank conversation if you're on that level and check in and just say like what's going on what's going on man like what what are you getting out of this i'd like to know what you get out of this And hopefully you can hear my perspective on it too. And my hope is, is that through this investigation that's going on in Romania, that it will come to light what he has been doing and how he has been harming people. And then that can serve as additional evidence for, this is a dangerous message. This is not a message that is meant for children or anyone to hear. And so I know this has been... Not a lighthearted episode. It's been a it's been a difficult one, and so if you have found yourself activated by anything that was talked about, I encourage you to take care of yourself, self-soothe in some way today. Maybe reach out to someone and get some extra support today, and block all of the accounts that share Andrew Tate material for your own well-being. It's something that I think we all need to do, um, and just really send the message that we're we're not okay with this type of content. If there, are, if there are more people rejecting the content than there are people accepting it, then maybe it will start to lose its power over those more vulnerable people. So I just want to say thank you to everyone for listening all the way through. Um, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out either through the email or um, on social medias. And I guess I'll see you in the next one. Bye-bye.